Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Me? Yes, okay. So before I ask a question, I want to lead into it to have a better understanding. People come and go to church. Many people come and go. Many people just leave whenever they want to leave. We used to have a one big church. Now we have many, many, many different organizations. And even though we have so many different organizations, and some organizations, they actually fight with each other, but somehow we try to convince us that we are still brothers and sisters. And even though we might be in different churches, but we are still the same church, so to speak. You know what I'm getting? So my question for you today would be, what it would take for you to walk away from this group? What it would take for you just to get up and leave this congregation here in Burlington? Just think about it for a moment. If you're making notes, try to write the reason. And I wouldn't mind if maybe later when you have a sermon discussion, today we have such a small group. If you don't mind, share with all of us what it would take for you to leave this group. What would I have to you? How would I have to offend you that you would have enough of me and just decided to walk away from this group of any single one of us here? I'll give you an extra moment, extra time. Just to think about it and write it down. I want to talk today about the law of forgiveness. But if you like, before I go there, I would just like to summarize or recap some of the message that I cover personally here. Remember I was talking about salvation? Anyone remembers that? Salvation is not a one-thing event. Salvation is a process. Everybody remembers it. Very good. We defined what salvation is. What is the objective of salvation? Remember the definition? Deliverance, not just deliverance from the power of the sentence of sin, not just the deliverance from the sentence itself, but also from the power of sin. That's the ultimate goal. Remember I said that salvation takes like three components into the salvation. Remember we talked about the justification, sanctification, and glorification. We all understand what justification means. Just God pronounced us not guilty on the act of what Jesus Christ did for us. Glorification will be accomplished at the end either of our lives or the moment where we actually be resurrected and have this glorious, amazing body. will be in the same way as the way how Jesus Christ was resurrected. We'll share in the same body. We'll be spiritual. Then we can say that we accomplish our salvation. It's fully accomplished and we just become like Jesus Christ. 
And all this long process that is been between the sanctification, between the sanctification, between the justification and glorification, that we call it sanctification. You know, if you remember the definition, what it is, it's just basically God is trying to set us apart for his special purpose. We are a special group of people. We are set apart for a special assignment that God has for us. And that is one of the longest process, the most difficult one. But we all have to go through it, whether we like it or we don't like it. And I think it's important when you understand salvation, when we understand what is grace, when we understand what is law, to talk about what is forgiveness and what the difference, how they are related with each other and what is the difference between each other. Let's start today with the scripture that I bother you so often for whenever I speak here. Let's go to First Peter chapter 1 here. And let's begin here. Again, First Peter chapter 1, and in verse 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy on your conduct. Because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So this is a very serious scripture that we're talking about here. And, you know, during this process of sanctification, we try, we work to become as holy as our Father in heaven, who is holy. Also here, I spend the last few times, I talk about sin. You remember we talk about three different categories of sin? We talk about sin in general as us missing the mark. Remember that too, right? Chata, that was the first Hebrew word. We talk about the transgression, Pesha, which we say is a willful violation of God's law. We also talk about the iniquity, which means perversity and moral evil. So as we talk about the three different categories of sin, obviously we talk about three different punishment or three different restitution associate with breaking one of the one of the one of the sin and the most severe punishment for any of the transgression for any of the sinful behavior is death penalty and the death penalty can be exercised through stoning hanging burning but nevertheless it's still a death penalty Remember, we also talk a little bit about the Levitical sacrificial system. And remember, in this old system, the sin offering and the trespass offering, there is no place for intentional sin. Remember that too? Very good. So there is no place in any of the sacrificial system for intentional sin. Only for unintentional sin. And... We went to the book of Acts chapter 13, which I would like to go here to. Book of Acts chapter 13. 
where would that leave all the believers in God who sin intentionally? It would leave us in the state that basically there is no forgiveness for any single one of us. At least no forgiveness in the sacrificial system according to the Old Covenant. Book of Acts chapter 13 here. And in verse 38, we read the scripture. Let's do it one more time just to recap the knowledge. Verse 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Whatever you committed. If you accept Jesus Christ' Jesus Christ's sacrifice for your, for your own sin, everything that you committed can be forgiven for you, which was difficult. It was impossible to be forgiven under the old covenant, under the old covenant law. How this thing came all about? We need to go to Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter two here. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul here is saying, and, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in, in which you once walked according to the course of this word, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. So that's the two things. Why we can be justified now? Because of a great mercy of God and his great love for all of us. That's why he decided to implement this process that we call salvation. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And here in my Bible, they have a little brackets which says, by grace you have been saved. And you skip down to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. At least just having this little limited knowledge we can have about the sacrificial system. We know that there is no way that we ourselves can justify in front of God. There is nothing that we can bring in front of our Father and say, Look at my conduct, look at my behavior, I have never sinned, not even once in my life. And I have the right to stand here and have the right to sit beside you and be awarded eternal life. No single one of us can put that claim in front of God because we all deserve that penalty. We are alive, so to speak, spiritually because of this great grace, this work of salvation that God put it in front of us through his son, Jesus Christ. And 
Of all the gifts that God gave us, this is one of the greatest gifts. The gift of salvation is one of the greatest gifts that humankind can ever receive from the Creator. What's the salvation one more time? Deliverance from the penalty and power of sin. That's what salvation is all about. What is grace? We all hear the definition of grace, right? We shouldn't have any problem. Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward men. That's all what it is. Unmerited favor. Just give it to us. How we accept this grace? By our faith. By our faith. And there is so much misunderstanding between these two concepts. God's law. God's grace. You know, many Christians think that these two things oppose each other. They work against each other. That's not true. You can't have grace. You can't have mercy if there is no law. Think about it. Most of Christianity today, at least the Protestant Christianity, they say we live by grace alone. And what is that supposed to mean? We live by grace alone. What is that supposed to mean? So the way how I look at this thing, I don't know if you're going to share the same opinion with me or not, but just, just go over me here slowly. If we just live by grace alone, and most people say it because they think the law is done away. It's, if that's the case, if God's righteous law is done away, and everything that's left here on this planet is just grace, that it means that every single human being that is alive today is sinless. Think about it. If God does not apply his law today because we live by grace alone, right? That every human being that lives on this earth is sinless. At least, legally speaking. Legally speaking. Doesn't matter where they are. If there is no law that you can't condemn anybody, you can't justify anybody, and you can't judge anybody. There is no law. We live by grace. Is that really what Jesus did? By dying on the cross, he put the law aside so we can live under grace. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. That's true. And just one quick verse here. Romans chapter 4. And in verse 15. It's just the second part of the verse. Romans chapter 4 and verse 15. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So if God cannot apply his law anymore, Jesus Christ is done with it. We don't have to bother with it. Then all single one of us, we are legally not guilty of anything. We are perfect human beings, at least legally speaking. Would that make sense? Are we perfect personally? Are we perfect? Is our heart perfect? Is our mind perfect? No. So it's impossible. There is work to be done. That's why salvation is a process. We need to overcome the power of sin in our life. And how are we going to judge ourselves? We need to have God's law. They work together beautifully. They don't, they don't oppose each other. 
think about it if this country is for a moment. If I would form a party, and you are my brothers and sisters, you'll have to support me, right? And if I run in a political here system in Canada, and I would say, if I get elected, I would abolish every single law that exists in this country. Every single law will be abolished. There will be no law. Grace for everybody. Would you vote for me? Teresa is smiling. says, I love you, Jen, but I wouldn't vote for something stupid like that, right? Right? No one would vote for this. Ah, some people would. They would love it. Hey, no law, no nothing. I can do whatever I want to. See how crazy would that idea be? Crazy. But there are some Christians who think, I am not under the law anymore. I have a free pass. I can do whatever I want because Christ cover, covers me. What is the purpose of the law? Romans chapter 7. We're in Romans, so easy. Just flip forward a few pages. Romans chapter 7. And verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? That's how some people look at it. Because law is something that condemns me. So the law in general is also sinful. Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. Verse 8. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment, produce in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Just think about it. If you grew up, if, the no, if, if, you grew, if you're growing up and there is no any single rules around, around your home, then you think, you think you can do whatever you want. When the rules comes into the effect, you just realize you may have an evil passion for some things that you didn't realize before. The same happens with God's, God's law. You know, like to covet something, if you didn't know before, it was easy for you to go about, live about some things and not even realize that your heart is so evil. But now God says you're not, you shall not commit adultery. You should not covet. And now by these commandments, just realize, you know, in our human nature that we want to do the things that are actually against God our human nature. God says, like, like kids. When you tell them when they are small, when you take them, when you tell them you can do whatever you want, you can play whatever you want, with everything you want, but just, you know, there's one toy that is here in the corner, please don't touch it. Guess what there will be the first interest in their mind what to do. All the other hundreds of toys may not be as important as this one little one in the corner because there is, please do not touch it. The same thing the same thing how God's laws work in all of us. If there is no law, then we have no idea how far we can go. Either way. How good we are. Either way. Here's verse 8, verse 9. Paul saying, let's read verse 8 one more time. By sin, taking an opportunity by the commandment, producing me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. If there is no law, there is no sin. But, Verse 9, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, 
and I died. And the commandment, which was, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. And we should come to the same conclusion in Christ. As we accepted Christ. That you know, yes, we might say, I am so righteous. I try to live by the commandments of God, but we slip. And we break God's law. Once we break one of the commandments, there is no justification for us. We need Christ to justify us. And 11, verse 11, For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. We all deserve that. That's, that's the purpose of the law. And verse 12, therefore the, law, therefore the law is still holy, and the commandments holy, and just, and good. We just need to find out what is the purpose of the law. God's law just reflects his holy and righteous character, and how we measure up with him. God's law is like a mirror that you look at it every day. And you see, how am I comparing, how am I comparing with Jesus Christ? How is my conduct today? How is my conduct yesterday revealing character of Jesus Christ? How is my conduct through this month, through my life? How is reflecting the righteous character of God who lives in heaven? Once we realize that how short we come, then we should crave, we should desire the forgiveness of, of, of God the Father and of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice. Because we know it that we just, we just fail. And we need God. We need Christ. And because God, through all this process, because he loved us so much, even though he could just condemn us and, and just destroy us, he said, no. I'll bring a way to give them a shot, to give them a spiritual life forever and ever in me, in my kingdom, for eternity. Now, if I say this, I don't know if you agree, but I would say the greatest weapons that we as a Christians have at our disposal is the power of forgiveness. The greatest, not just the one among many, the greatest is the power of forgiveness. Some would say that Jenny might be wrong because I think the greatest weapon at our disposal is the power of love. But I would say, the power of love is measured by our level of forgiveness. If we say that we love somebody, but if we have a hard time to forgive somebody, then we just don't love. We still hold grudges. So I believe that the greatest power that we have as a Christian is the power of forgiveness. And again, most Christians believe that this power of forgiveness is a concept that was strictly, I don't want to say invented, but was strictly Strictly proclaimed by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That this is not an Old Testament concept. 
is a strictly New Testament concept, forgiveness. That's what Jesus Christ brought to the scene. But that's not true. The people missing the teaching of the entire Bible. And let me show you some example from the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 32. There are many. I'm just going to pick one. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And look at verse 8. And we know the story. All the Israelites sin horribly. And he's breaking it to the context, verse 8. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worship it and sacrifice to it. And, and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have sent this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation, Moses. Forget these people. I will destroy them. I have absolutely every right, according to my powerful law, to destroy every single one of them. Because they violated every single commandment that I just gave them. And they agree that they will obey. But then, in verse 11, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath? Born hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out of harm then to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And we know eventually God did turn his wrath away and he let them, let them live. Let me give you another example. We already covered it. Second Samuel chapter 12. Second Samuel chapter 12. And we covered it extensively, but let's just refresh our, our memories here. Second Samuel chapter 12. With Nathan and David here. And David supposed to die. He committed murder. Adultery, for all the sins, we know the penalty for all sins like that is death. But here in verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. He spared his life. This is a great example of forgiveness and of mercy that God expressed in the Old Testament. So this concept of justification, this concept of forgiveness, is not just a New Testament concept. It runs throughout the Bible. It's expressly explained by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We run throughout the whole Bible. So, as you can see, the law itself, God's law in itself, does not have the power to forgive. If you're a biblical judge living in the Old Testament, as a judge, you will not have power to forgive anybody. You will have to rule 
according what's in the book of the law. For example, if I steal, steal something from you and I get caught, I'll have to pay restitution. And no any judge should say, hey, Jen, I don't care. Let's say I steal from any one of you says I don't care about all the other people. I set you free. You don't have to repay anything. That would be at the expense of the victims, right? God had to do righteously. So there is no provision in the law to have mercy on anybody. There's no provision. But in the Old Testament, as much as the law doesn't have this claw to forgive, but God had the power to forgive. And he did many times, and he did on many occasions. It's the law in general that lacks the ability of, of, of forgiveness. This is the weakness of God's law that doesn't provide for us this moment, this, this, this amount of forgiveness that we can have, we can claim. Hebrews chapter 7. Quickly here, just one single verse here. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And here in verse 19, the second part of the verse here. On the other hand, actually from the beginning, verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. The law does not have the ability to make us perfect. It was never designed for this, to make us perfect. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to to the spirit. So the Bible agreed that basically there is a weakness in God's law that weakness cannot justify. The law cannot make us perfect. I want to go back to the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 19. And there is an interesting verse here that is well known. Well known. Leviticus chapter 19. It is quoted on many occasions in the New Testament. It's quoted by Jesus Christ and many other people. The basic summary of God's love. You shall love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here in verse 18, the second part of this verse said, But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And mostly this is the part, this is one of the parts that we remember. 
We shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But no one pay attention to the beginning of this verse. What does it say here at the beginning of this verse? You shall not take vengeance. What does that supposed to mean? If somebody hurts you, one of the first response that you won't take justice into your own hands. And you want to justify your action. I have the right to feel this way. And once you convince yourself that you have the right to feel yourself, you forget how to conduct yourself according to the book of law. But God says, if you do everything according to the book of law, if any, if, if somebody does anything wrong with you, to you, but you go through this process of reconciliation that you're supposed to do, then you personally, you should not take any vengeance. Forget, forgive, and move on. Not take any vengeance. What's the next part? Nor bear any grudges against the children of your people. Or let me put it in New Testament language. Nor bear any grudges against the brothers and sisters in Christ. If someone hurts you, if someone offends you, if someone sin against you, do we hold grudges? Yes, we do. It's easy to forget. It's easy to move on because we feel the victims. But even in Old Testament, God says, you be careful how you behave. You're supposed to forgive and forget. And as we understand the scripture, and I want to bring here, uh, I want to talk about a little bit about the politics. Maybe not so much politics, but about our, you know, judicial system in Canada or in the United States. If you commit a crime and you go to prison, and let's say you have your sentence served, no matter how long it is, no matter for what crime it might be, and if you get released from this prison, right? Is the judicial system ready to forgive you? You can just go and do whatever you want to do. Let's say you were the offender, let's say, of any sexual crime. Can you go and teach? Would the judicial system hold grudges against you till the day you die? Because this record of you doing wrongs is above your head as long as you're going to live. Right? So now, all these Christians, and especially in the States, who claim, by grace alone, by grace alone, right? All these people said, we don't need to keep God's law, by grace alone. The same people elect people to office on what terms? Justice. Justice. More prison sentence. Gonna build a wall. We're gonna deport all of them. Harsh sentences. Question. By which war, law do we live? The law of the land? Or we live 
The law of the book. Which one is it? You like to take sides, right? Oh, be very opinionated. Facebook, anywhere, how we prefer one side over another side. And we take pride in it. Oh, we have the rights for our opinion. We'll just, you know, we'll go a little farther from here. But I just want to go a little bit to the side just to see it. If it does, you know, if just me, I'm trying to make some sense of here. Or maybe I'm losing my mind as I look at all these events that are happening all over the place. Have a conversation like that. Because it might be me. I'm not sure. It might be me. What is the difference, huge difference that is supposed to be between Christianity and all the other religions? What is supposed to be the one main difference? And everybody would say, love. Right? But you will talk to the Jewish people, and they'll tell you, our God is God of love. You'll go to Muslims, and they'll tell you the same thing. Allah is God of love. Everybody's God of love. Really. Really. We need to go deeper to their teaching. And some of the teaching, especially about the Judaism, are very expressed in the New Testament teaching. You know, Judaism, yeah, they often teach that men need to love their fellow who? Jews. Jews need to love Jews. Is there any obligation that need, the Jews need supposed to love the Gentiles? No, it's not. How do I know that? doesn't take long. We can just turn the news and you can see the treatment of the Jewish people, how the Jewish people treat the Palestinian people. If you don't like my statement, because some say they have the right to do this, all this to Palestinians, I says, okay, let's leave the Palestinians alone. And let's say, you be the brave one, and you just fly to Jerusalem, go to the Orthodox quarter of Jerusalem, and try preach about Jesus Christ, how great he is. They will spit into your face. If you don't have security, they may stone you or shot you along the way. This is what Judaism is all about. And many of our brothers and sisters that would like to go to Judaism and learn some lessons how to conduct ourselves under the new covenant. I find this amazing. What about the other religion? What about Islam? Oh, they're very passionate. The hatred against Jews, they don't even have to hide it. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. Hatred for Christians is not as high as for, for Judaism, but it's, but it's up there. It's up there. What about the church? What about Christianity? When first Christians were killed, martyred for the faith in a Roman Colosseum, you know what they did? Most of them, when they were dying, you know what they did? They said, Father, forgive them for what they do. They have no idea what they're doing. That was the response of the Christians. They were martyred for their faith. Few centuries later, few centuries later, as the church 
grew in power. I'm using church loosely here. Guess what they started to do? They started to torture and execute people in the same way like everybody else. The same way where everybody else. What is the love of God and forgiveness that is so mentioned so many times on so many occasions in the New Testament? Where is it? Where we show the difference between all these religions? What is the main difference? Is the difference of forgiveness. Difference of forgiveness. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For when we are still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Why God demonstrated his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. And just think for a moment. Yes, we have all these religions and there are all these people who will willingly die for their religion. There are Jews. There are fanatic Jews. There are some, you know, Jewish extreme believers who will die for Moses. There are some Muslims. They are absolutely sacrificed their life for Muhammad. There are Christians who will die for Jesus Christ at any moment. How many of us would die for a family member? We would sacrifice ourselves for a family member, right? How many of us would die for our friends? Well, it depends how close we are, right? I love this friend better than the other one. Maybe I will die, but this guy's a little older. So if he die, he's be okay. This one is a little younger. I'll pick and choose, right? How many of us would die for somebody who is in church, but we don't have such a great relation with the person? How many of, that of us would just say, I would die? How many of us would die for somebody on the street who, let's say, might not even be our enemy? How many of us? Just be serious. Just be. Don't kid ourselves. How many of us would die for an enemy? That's a challenge. That's what separates all these different religions. And dying, and dying, you become victim. And when you become victim, you say, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. 
How many of us would do that? Luke chapter 23. I said it a few times, but let's just read it one more time. Luke chapter 23. And in verse 34. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. What did they do to him? They set him up. False testimony. They spit on him. They brutalized him. Beat him up to death. And the last moment he is just saying, forgive them. Do we have this forgiveness in our hearts towards our enemies? Actually, just forget enemies. Do we have this forgiveness in our hearts for a brother and sister? The law of forgiveness, as you can see it, running all the way from Leviticus here, as we read, chapter 19, mandates that we should not hold any grudges. But Jesus took it to another level. The filial love, Jesus turned into the agape love. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant law, when you're talking about the filial love, was just and fair law. Everybody needs to be happy. I hurt you. I pay you. Then both parties come satisfied. I respect you. You respect me. Go to each homes. And just be happy. Live on. Jesus took it to another level. Way another level. To a sacrificial level. Beyond justice and forgiveness. And he took it to the level that. It's even difficult to describe. It's difficult to express, but it, I don't know if it will apply to you, but it will apply to my life. Because I would say the sacrificial level of love, if only displayed on this planet, in a form, the way how moms love their children. And I might be wrong, because I grew up and I fully understand how much my mom loved me. And helps me to understand because I know that my mom, she would not even hesitate a second to sacrifice whatever she had her life just, just for me strictly. And the same level, not just of love, but forgiveness. You know, we have some moms here. How many times your children offended you and offended you and offended you and offended you and what did you do? I love you. Still my child. This is the level of forgiveness. This is the level of love that Jesus Christ brought it up into the New Testament. And I'll continue my thought a little bit later. But let's go to the scriptures first. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18.
Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciple came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We all want to be great. At some point in our lives, right? We all want to be great. Then Jesus called the little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Question. How long does it take for a little child, when you're a mom and dad or anybody, how long does it take for a little child to forgive you for whatever you do to the little child? How long does it take? How long? You may have a little baby, let's say two, three years old, or four years old, and you say, you raise your voice, or maybe a little spank baby, three, four years old. How long does it take for this child? To cry, open arms, and come and hug you. How long it will take? Minute? Not even a minute. They'll come and they'll just love you the same way how they used to love you before. How long will it take for you? If I say something that you get offended, how long will it take you to forgive me what I said? Eternity? Lifetime? How long did we tell it for you to just, just forget it? We can't. We don't want to. Verse 6. So just imagine, as we come, if you love your congregation, if you treat everybody in your congregation as your brother and as your sister, no matter of the maturity level. Some will be very mature, some might be not. And we need to take into effect everything that happens, even of these little ones that are not mature yet. Verse 7. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a milestone were hang around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offense, offenses. For offenses must come by woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Do we really think, especially, especially let's say to us who are mature, do we really think sometimes about the little ones who might not be mature? And again, I want to point out, I am not in any of the social media. And I don't want to be. I can't stand it. When people are so eager to post something, when they don't even realize the full impact of whatever they post on it. The fight that's going among people on our social media, people who claim to be Christians. Do we worry about the little ones that what they might look into it what they, might, what they might get out of it, 
and offend them. Do we really think about it? Or it's just me? My opinion, mother, because I know politically what is right. Does it really matter? That's God's people. Verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you, that in heaven, the angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go, and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, I surely say to you, he rejoices more over the, over the sheep, that, that, over the one sheep, that over the ninety-nine, they did not go astray. Do we care about the one sheep? Oh, we still have a group. I still have my friends. Everything is great. I don't really know that person that well. Ah, they left. They have a choice. There's so many different congregations. They can go wherever they, they want to go. Is that the right attitude? Matthew chapter 6. If we want to understand, fully understand how to relate to our God, I think the best way would be to relate to him as a dad, as a father. And I know Brother Gord sometimes when he comes to pray, and I love when he say, my dad, my dad, my dad. And there's nothing wrong with that. Matthew chapter 6 here. Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 9. Here, the disciple asked him how we are supposed to pray. When we pray, what are we supposed to say? How we are supposed to do it? And here in verse 9, he says, In this monitor for pray, how they address God. Oh, you King Almighty and all this stuff. No, Jesus says what? Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. What's the next priority? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Is it your priority or is it God's priority? It's something that you're really concerned about, something that you hurt in your heart, or you're concerned about the kingdom of God and His will. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread, and verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you want God to forgive you, then you better forgive your brother and sister, because if you don't forgive your brother and sister, don't accept that God will forgive you. Simple. Simple formula. Just like that. Simple, very simple formula. And now, this prayer is so obvious. Our Father. And it's amazing, you know, sometimes you go to a church and somebody goes to pray publicly or privately. I've been, you know what? And these people start to say, and they go for like uh, three minutes. And they go in Hebrew saying something, whatever, that I can't even understand. They go, whatever, Hebrew, Hebrew, stuff like that. And they think they are so righteous. Because they memorize a little bit the Hebrew language there. 
you know, and they think like, wow, my prayer is now heard by God because I did it in the Hebrew language. When God says, Jesus, instruct disciple, how should we pray? Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. So as you study the Bible, I hope you see the transition, right? The relationship, the transition. When you study the Old Testament, it's more like God is a king and we are slaves. There is a lot of law retaining to the uh, uh, law relating to the slavery. How we're supposed to treat one another. What's right and what's not right. As you move to the New Testament, it's everything about the sonship. Become sons and daughters of the living God. And this is a beautiful transition. And help us to understand who God is. I want you to look some of the examples. John chapter 8. Not about this one, but forgiveness. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. My time is catching on to me. I'll have to cut it short. You're not in rush today, right? Are you? Need to leave early? So I can extend by a few minutes, if you don't mind. John chapter 8. So let's read the whole story. Book of John, chapter 8, and verse, and verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in, the, in her midst, in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And verse 6, there is a trap. This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as thought he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stood down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out, went, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, what are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. A few things from that story here. Deuteronomy chapter 17 here. Deuteronomy chapter 17. We need to look at the legal aspect of it. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Seventeen and verse six and seven. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. And there is other stipulation to this. The hands of the witnesses 
shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hands of all the people, she shall put away the evil from among you. The witness that testifies is not just proclaim a false, false, false witness. They also need to be the first one to pick up the stone and throw at the perpetrator of the crime. Deuteronomy chapter 22 quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 22. And verse 22. There is another aspect to this. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the, and the woman. So you shall put away evil from Israel. So, in this story, there is only a poor woman, right? There is no man there. They caught the woman in the very act. That's what the Bible says. They caught the woman in the very act of committing adultery. Where is the man? So they didn't have the man. That was a perfect setup. Now, now think about it. What would you do? Jesus had two choices there, right? When people brought this woman and they asked him for action, what you want to do, right? Jesus could say at the beginning just, hey, people, let her go. What would happen if he would say, let her go? All these accusers, everybody would stood up and says, he's not following the law of Moses. He's not the Messiah. He's not following the law of Moses, right? But his second option, he would say, hey, just stone her to death. What would the people say? Oh, he's supposed to be the Messiah to save us from death, right? It was a perfect trap. And what Jesus did is brilliant. And I don't know what he wrote on the ground. No one knows. But maybe he did what, what I was saying. Deuteronomy 22, 22. Or he started reading on the on the ground, what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to mean unto them, right? Both men and women shall die, not just the woman, because he was caught in adultery. And it's interesting, he said, if you, if you have not committed any sin, be the first one to throw a stone. And being the leaders, every single one of them was guilty. Every single one of them was guilty. What are the witnesses? They all disappeared. There was no witness of her crime. And Jesus said, what are the accusers? If there are no accusers, what Jesus Christ said, I forgive you. Go. I sin. No more. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. There is another beautiful story here. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood, at his, and, stood at, and, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. 
Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, to himself, not public, he just spoke to himself, to his own heart. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, same Simon, not directly to him, but through his disciples. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when, they had, and, and, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of, their, of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has, no, has not ceased to kiss my feet since, since that time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And here is the story for us to take. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. If you just realize how big sinner you are in your life, and I hopefully we all realize what we deserve, we may not be at this prostitute, we may not be as this you know drug taking guy or woman at the corner. But we all deserve the same penalty, right? Because we all deserve the same penalty, don't be self-righteous person. Because you might say, hey, I keep God's Sabbaths. I keep God's holidays. I have a better status than all of these other people. I'm a special one. I am really special here. I try to keep God's law to my best ability. And I should deserve a little better treatments than all the other people. Is that the, all, is that the attitude we're supposed to have? I don't think so. I don't think so. Matthew chapter 7. When you hurt, when someone offends you, when some evil has done against you, the first thing what we know, the first thing usually what we want to do, or what we demand, is fairness, right? Oh, I just don't care about anything. I just want everything to be fair for everybody. Is that for everybody? Just specifically for you. That's why you're crying so much. Fairness, I demand fairness, everything fairness, in politics, fairness, in business, fairness. Everybody wants to be fairness, right? As long as it works for me, it's fine. Then I'm good, I'm happy, fairness is everywhere. Whenever I'm hurt, then suddenly there is no fairness, right? And as I told you at the beginning, the power, the greatest powers that we have is the powers 
of forgiveness. I'll tell you why. Read here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And if the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So in the end, I just want to tell you this thing. That you'll be very careful. Because sometimes, as we heard along the way, we want the injustice. We want, we want this injustice to bring straight to God, to heavenly court. And we say, God, please take this into your hand and judge. I would say, be careful, because God will judge you. If you bring it into the heavenly court, God will judge you, and God will judge you strictly according what the law says. And many other dirts that you do might come up. Might come up, because you demanded it. You wanted it. You don't want to resolve these things, you know, one-on-one. You want to bring justice. You demand justice, that you be justly treated from God. And you're going to demand it from God. I want it, Father. I want you to be a judge. And you will get it. But just be careful. Because of the same judgment that you try to apply to the other person, God will apply to you. Now think for a moment. If some of you breaks into my apartment for whatever reasons, one of you breaks into my apartment, and let's say I don't know who it is, I call 911, the police are going to show up at the door, and you know, let's say, what happened? I say, somebody break into it, who is it? Let's say one of you. So they will try to handcuff and, let's say, put you in whatever jail. What if I say, officer, officer, hold a minute here. These people didn't want to do it, what they do. I don't want to press any charges against that person. What's happening? Even the government's law is useless. They can't do anything. Because I don't want to press any charges. I don't want to go to the full extent of the law. I forgive them. Let them go. Even police cannot hold this person. No matter how much they want it, they can't. Why? I'm not holding any charges. I'm not pressing any charges. Do we have the same attitude? Stephen, when he was dying, when he was stoned to death, what did he say? Forgive them. Forgive them, Father. Because why? Because they don't know what they do. Many people around us, they have no idea what they're doing. Do we have this power in us? Just to show this unbelievable power of forgiveness. What happens when you forgive one another? Go to Matthew 18. Whatever decisions you make along the way, no matter what kind of reconciliation process you take, but as long as you guys come together, as we come come together as a family, there is a great reward for it. Great reward for it. Matthew chapter 18. In verse 18, I surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, so much taken out of context. 
It's all related to all chapter 18, how to deal with we sin against one another. We have an issues with one another. Verse 20. For, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. When we make a judgment, when we make a pro- pronouncement, when we forgive one another, God is in the midst of it and say, I am there. There you go. I'm happy what you did. I'm happy that you reconcile. I don't want to judge your case. Because if you bring it to me, I'll have to judge it and I have to be strict to my law. If you forgive one another, I don't want to deal with it. It's forgiven. If you forgive, I forgive. Basically, that's what it is. So, brethren, as we go out from here, and I apologize again going over time. I never expected it to go to be so long. We need to remember that every single one of us, much, much has been forgiven. God forgive a lot of us, no matter what sin we committed. God forgive all, all of us, every single one of us. God forgive. God forgive. And God, even though we commit horrible sins, God is not holding any grudges against any single one of you. Once you're in Christ, it's not that God's going to, hey, I'll make, I'll make you pay as long as you're going to live. I will hold you this guilty verdict above your head as long as you're going to live. I will remind you all the time. That's not our God. He's ready to forgive if we are ready to forgive. May God bless you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.